There's no question about it. They are the most important soldiers on the front line of this pandemic. But they are facing burnout, PTSD, some even planning on quitting altogether. Nurses are sounding the alarm that this can't go on much longer. Help for the helpers, right now on The Happy Molecule. Well, I'm the proud father of a registered nurse, but you don't have to be related to one to know how vital they are to the health care we receive and expect. For more than a year, they've been in the trenches, treating COVID patients, having protocols changed, watching death happen daily. No such thing as a normal shift. In a recent survey done for the Ontario Nurses Association, 96% of those asked reported they are stressed from the pandemic. 13% of our younger nurses are considering leaving the profession altogether when lockdown ends. Prior to COVID, we were already facing a nursing shortage. This could spell disaster for our healthcare system. Coming up, I speak with a professor from the University of British Columbia about how close to the breaking point we are. We have to realize that it's chronic exposure to trauma and traumatic event that essentially takes a toll on individuals' mental health. And as a care provider, if you work in an environment where, for example, workplace violence or poor workplace conditions is just a daily occurrence, that that is going to take a toll on you and your mental health. But first, Linda Sillis, president of the Canadian Federation of Nurses Unions on what's happening and what needs to happen. She speaks to me from Fredericton, New Brunswick. Hello, Linda. Thanks for joining me. Thank you so much, Kevin. Let's paint a picture of nursing today in Canada as far as mental health. And I'm talking about the mental health of the nurses. What's a quick snapshot of what our nurses are going through right now, what they're feeling? Quick snapshot or quick word would be they're crushed. Uh, it's been a difficult 15 months and it was difficult before the 15 months. We've been living a shortage of nursing uh, for the last six, seven, eight years. And this pandemic has just crushed them and we're starting to see it in numbers and different studies across the country. I'm hearing our nurses are feeling PTSD. They're, they're feeling depression. They're feeling exhausted and I'm sure frustrated. Yeah, there's that mixture of being mad at the system that we're not doing enough and that moral distress that you as a nurse is not doing enough for the patient, for the family. You know, when I hear, uh, and most for me, uh, is I hear the story or I read the stories of a nurse uh, having to choose which hand she's going to hold of a patient dying alone. Uh, that is moral distress. That's tearing you apart in areas that uh, you didn't think you would ever go. Uh, we're nurses. Uh, we're proud of it. And those who work in critical care uh, do have that adrenaline rush uh, because, and, and I was part of that many, many moons ago. You know, you, you get trained, you're ready to face that, in, that crisis. Uh, but what this has shown us is you can't provide the proper care that you've been trained to. Uh, you have to do your minimum. You have to give a hand to your colleagues that are just scared out of their wits 
because they've never been in intensive care or they've never been in long-term care. And all that anxiety and not knowing what's next is very heavy on their shoulder. And that's why I use the word, uh, they're crushed. What happens when they're crushed? What, what's, and obviously we're going to see, it's possible patient care can suffer. It's definitely that, that the, the, the health of, uh, of the nurse will suffer. So what does crushed look like? So right now, uh, nurses are dedicated to their job. So you're not seeing many nurses leave their job. They're n- you're not even seeing nurses calling in sick. Uh, they're working under emergency measures. They're, they realize the urgency of COVID-19. Uh, every hands have to be on deck. That they realize it. What worries me and, and many decision makers in our countries, what's gonna happen next? When we're gonna realize the pandemic is over, we have this under control and we're working very hard to have it under control, which are public health measures and vaccination. But when they're going to realize, okay, I need to take care of myself. Over 40, 60% of them are telling us I'm leaving uh most of our workforce have three four six weeks vacation in their bank and even more than that because they haven't been taking vacation for the last 15 months what's going to happen what some employers are telling us oh well they might not be any vacation times uh because we have a a backlog of uh, surgeries well the system that's the crush. That's not going to happen. And it becomes a downward spiral because you need the vacation time to recuperate. If you're not going to get the vacation time, you're going to need more vacation time to recuperate. And it just, it just keeps growing and growing and growing. It's not only the vacation time is, you know, I always say uh, when you're on vacation, you need to be on vacation. You need to be enjoying yourself. If you're burnt out, that's called sick time. Uh, you're burnt out. We have to see a mental health, our mental health, as important as our physical health. If you break your two legs right now, you wouldn't be calling that vacation time. You'd be on sick time. You'd be on rehabilitation. And we're going to have to look at the mental health of the healthcare workforce. And I know I represent nurses, but there's a lot more than nurses in this crisis. And so, what are you? Go- what are we going to modify in schedules? What are we gonna modify in uh, nurse-patient ratios, in staffing models, in health human resource policies to give everyone the break, the re-energy they need to then go on vacation and enjoy their families and their, their, their kids and you know the blue sky outside. Uh, and how are we gonna balance that with the backlog of surgeries? How are we going to balance that with the amount of overtime? Stat Canada did a study around overtime for Quebec and Ontario during the first wave. Overtime went up 103% to 128% in one year for those two provinces. Like That's crazy. Uh, but it's a crisis. So how are we going to deal with all that? Okay, how are we going to deal with it? What, what do we need to do? right now to begin with? 
I did an interview just recently for the Atlantic provinces because the, the shortage uh, in the Atlantic provinces is severe. They're closing emergency rooms, uh, ORs. Uh, you're, you're seeing a little bit, little pockets, but it's the Atlantic. And you think, oh, but it's small numbers of people. But when I look at the province of New Brunswick, for example, there's 700 vacant positions in New Brunswick. That means you need a thousand extra nurses to fill those positions because you need 1.5 person to fill one FTE. And they only have 10,000 nurses in the province on a normal day. So it has, we have to look at very dramatic uh, suggestions. So what I suggested during that interview was, well, why don't we look at a program for free education for nurses, for healthcare workers, why don't we make it so attractive that young people uh, would go into the healthcare professions? We know that universities uh, in Dalhousie, Halifax, for example, are just implementing the expedited program, which instead of four years is the three-year programs. Okay, but let's head, help fund those programs. And we need to do it in every profession. Uh, we need a plan that they will also have decent jobs. Uh, you can't accept expect, I mean, somebody to work uh, every second shift in overtime. So I don't, okay, I'm not understanding this. I thought nursing was a very, you know, desirable occupation to go into. It's attractive to go into. And, and I, I thought schools were doing well. So you're telling me that people are, just aren't becoming nurses now or not wanting to become nurses or we're just not paying for it? No, there, our schools of nursing are telling us that the numbers are high of applicants mm -hmm. uh, because of the pandemic has made, you know, this hero kind of halo around the, the heads of nurses and it makes it very attractive. What we're seeing is that they're not staying, uh, either staying <laughs> in their nursing program or when they graduate. Because they're, find, uh, we, they're finding out what's ahead. Yes. And if, and when you look at a workforce, in a workforce, you should have about 70% of your workforce full-time. In nursing, uh, the Atlantic provinces have about 70%, but the rest of the country were below 60%, 55%. Alberta is at as low as 36% wow. full-time equivalent. Uh, how do you manage a workforce when they don't want to work full-time? They want part-time jobs because they need more flexibilities. They have families. Uh, and that's where we have to work it, make it more attractive. So we need more nurses. What about the nurses that are there right now? What do we need to do for them? We're going to have to be very creative, very creative on how we improve uh, their time off, how we would give them flexibility. And the first place to start, because is uh, better nurse-patient ratios, better staffing models. If you read uh, studies that we've done with University of Regina, a study recently in British Columbia, uh, Stat, Stat Canada didn't go in as much details, but if you ask nurses, why are you burnt out? Why are you experiencing uh, major depression symptoms or PTSD? They have two reasons not enough staff and violence in the workplace. Those two are systemic or system issues. We could fix and stop violence in the workplace. It should be made a criminal offense if you hit, 
hurt a nurse, a healthcare worker, it should be the same thing as hitting a police officer on the street. Criminal offense automatically go to jail. Don't collect $200, plain and simple. And then there's the staffing models uh, where you should, and areas where it's scientifically proven you need one nurse for one patient or two patients or four patients, you need to stick to that because there's nothing worse for a nurse or any other worker, I would argue, that when you go home and you're not, you feel like you haven't been able to do a good job and you do that day after day after day after day, it's very heavy on your physical and your mental health. Um, the, the, I, the irony here is that we're talking about the mental health of nurses and that we need to do better, but we, you know, in general, the general population is facing a mental health crisis that we've never faced before. And this is landing in the, in the laps of nurses who are already overworked as well. Could, can you see some, some improvements to, to our mental health system and, and, and the care that might help with nurses? The real irony, uh, Kevin, is we've been talking about this for 20 years. Uh, let's be honest, the federal government funded this big commission on mental health for 10 years, mega, mega dollars, saying we needed to revamp our system to put the physical and the mental health of the individual on the same sidelines. We as a nurses union have been saying our profession is burned out, that we could see it in our long-term disability numbers, in our sick leave numbers, in our workers' compensation numbers. But the fact that what we were seeing were depressions, anxiety, uh, I hate to say it, but administrators saw that as soft issues compared to when you're looking at police officers, military, they were looking at PTSD, uh, hallucinations, uh, you know, very severe uh, symptoms, but they were severe symptoms as severe as depressive symptoms for the same diagnostic. And we're just starting to see that in uh, nursing. Uh, federal government just accepted about three years ago, just before the pandemic, that yes, uh, under their PTSD framework, they were going to include nurses. Uh, you know, in 2000, that was 2018-19, I was hitting my head against the wall that after all the work we had done on mental health, I had to lobby politicians, literally lobby politicians to add nurses and healthcare workers in a PTSD framework. It's there now, but it was lobby. We still don't have anything on violence in the workplace at the federal and most provincial uh, area. Uh, and uh, that, that's frustrating and that, that's maddening. When, you, when I know for my career, the first campaign on violence in the workplace was in 1991, 1991. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, you, the code is code white. Uh, if, if you're in a hospital and you hear code white and you know what, I've been in a few hospitals lately. I'm hearing that more than I've ever heard before come over the uh, public address systems uh, calling for a code white. Yeah, the, the code whites and they have different uh, names a little bit everywhere, but it's all about staffing. Eh? 
I've worked in emergency rooms. I've worked in critical care. That's about the extent of where I work. But when you have enough staff, patients and family feel secure. When you're brushing by them and when you don't have time to look at somebody in the eyes and hold their hands and say, it's okay, I'll be right back. Uh, it's the anxiety, it's the, the, the stress that makes people react. Uh, and, you know, some are just plain violent and shouldn't be there. But there's that whole uh, atmosphere that uh, when you're rushing, you don't have proper staff and you don't have proper security personnel. And that's one thing I, I learned, um, which I honestly didn't know. People were saying, oh, you need security personnel. And I was saying, well, security personnel that I've seen are all, I don't want to do any ageism here, but there's, you know, they were either very old, very sweet, and just, you know, being paid less than minimum wage or minimum wage, they weren't going to jump in the fire. So I've asked security people, so what is a, a well-educated security officer that we need into our hospital system and long-term care, for example? Well, it's anybody wearing a baton. Because if you're trained to wear a baton, you're trained in really diffusing the situation and restraining safely somebody who is violent. And we need to be looking at that. So when I speak to nurses, I tell them, look for that baton. Can have 20 stripes on their shoulders. It doesn't really matter. It's all about what are they trained. Mm -hmm. They don't need guns and all of that, but they need to be well trained to diffuse uh, the situation. And that we need more than, than one in a giant hospital too. Because if we don't, if I just talk about violence, we're going to be creating hospitals that looks like uh, legislative assembly parliaments with the uh, metal de direct, uh, detectors, uh, with IDs asked to go in and all of that. And imagine what that's going to cost, but imagine what's going to do to communities too. We have our loved ones in there and we need to go through a an alarm system before we go visit them. Um, yeah, it's not a healing atmosphere. No. So we are... Now coming, I mean, hope, touch wood, uh, nearer to the end of lockdowns, uh, what's going to happen with, with subsequent waves and is anybody's guess. But we are, and I've always touted this, that we are facing a mental health crisis still after, after this is all over. We're going to be facing a bigger mental health crisis just because now we're going to deal with the fallout. What kind of crisis are we facing mental health-wise and staffing-wise for nurses in this country? But you, like everyone else, know that there, there will be a federal election soon. And everyone is asking us, uh, what are you going to lobby for, Linda? And I'm talking exactly what you just said. The next crisis, the next crisis will be a health human resource crisis because of the fact that nurses and others are crushed, they're tired, they, they need hope uh, and they will need to hear that from politicians. The mental health crisis will be a societal crisis, but human beings are very resilient. Just let me go back on a patio and have a beer with my friends and the sun on my face. That is better than most therapy sessions. 
just let my children go back to school and I can see them play in the park, that will be good for my mental health. But when I talk about healthcare workers, when I talk about nurses, yes, they'll see that on the personal life, but they still have to go to work short staffing. They still have to go to work with new grads that are scared because they think they're not ready. They, they still have to go to work with coworkers that showing sign of major depression, anxiety, su uh, suicidal uh, behavior, et cetera, et cetera. That still will all be there. And working short and working in a violent environment is the worst. What can you say to any nurses listening out there right now who are frustrated uh, and feeling alone, feeling defeated? What can what would you say to them if, if you could talk to them right now, Linda? I say take a deep breath. We need to take a deep breath collectively and be proud of what we uh, what we've done as a group of a healthcare workforce as nurses and don't give up because this is a, a bump this is a page of history that we will be telling our children i was part of the 2020 2021 hopefully not 2022 <laughs> pandemic yeah. but i was part of that and i survived and to, it's almost we need to trust the system, uh, but to trust the system, we will have to see hope. And that's my job, to bring hope at the end of that tunnel. The job of nurses and healthcare workers out there is take a deep breath, be proud, and not to quit, because it will be better. Honestly, can't get worse. <laughs> Thank you, Linda. Dr. Farinaz Hawaii of the University of British Columbia recently headed up a study of nurses in BC that reveals increasing levels of depression, anxiety, and PTSD. I speak with her from Vancouver. Hi, Dr. Hawaii. Uh, thank you very much for joining me. Thank you so much for having me. This paper about PTSD, now, now we're talking specifically uh, about nurses right now. Uh, who, of course, are like the front of the front lines in the uh, the current pandemic. What was the reason, what was the trigger to even, even have a study of this kind? Yeah, so we actually conducted our initial survey of BC nurses in December 2019, looking at their psychological health and safety in the workplace. And some of the results that we got in terms of prevalence of mental health problems they were just really, really concerning to us. And so when the pandemic happened, and so we're, we were hearing all of the, this anecdotal evidence and stories that were really horrific about, you know, workplace conditions and some of the challenges that nurses were facing during the pandemic, that essentially prompted us to do a follow-up study to look at how things in terms of mental health had changed for the nursing workforce in the province. That, okay, we're... Are we talking just like poor workplace conditions or ignorant work workplace conditions? What do you mean by poor workplace conditions? So there are different definitions. I mean, there are different de conceptual and operational definitions of um, workplace conditions out there. But the one that we use actually comes from the Mental Health Commission of Canada. And it's called um, uh, workplace, like it's, it's called the National Standard of Psychological Health and Safety. And it looks at 13 workplace conditions. So things like workload, leadership, 
um, uh, workplace relations and all of, all of those factors that essentially are known to be making a difference with respect to uh, uh, workers' mental health. What is PTSD? So PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder is essentially a mental health condition that is uh, sort of triggered by exposure to a, a terrifying or traumatic event. And exposure can be either direct or indirect. So by direct exposure, we, we mean, you know, when the person actually experiences the traumatic event themselves, like it happens to them, an indirect exposure is when, when they witness it or, you know, hear about it or witness it happen to someone else. And, um, you know, it's, it's actually characterized by a series of symptoms like uh, feeling hyper, hyper arousal, so having impaired concentration and being constantly hyper vigilant, um, uh, going at like great length to avoid reminders of the event, like the traumatic event, and also things like re-experiencing the event through nightmares or flashbacks or some of the common symptoms associated with post-traumatic stress disorder. I do know that uh, a a whole, you know, there, there are quite a few hospitals and, and, and areas where, where, of course, nurses work that are very vigilant in the mental health of their nurses. And after a traumatic event, they, they, they tend to, uh, or they will call them or, or, or bring them in, uh, find out how they're doing, do a mental health check. Are we doing enough? In, in my opinion, there, there is, <laughs> from a policy and, uh, a policy and pra practice perspective, there, there's always room for improvement, right? So it's, it's definitely really good to be checking in with people, like from a health promotion perspective. But I think there are also things that we should be doing from a prevention um, perspective. And I, I, I personally think that workplace conditions or some of those systemic issues that are um, happening in nurses' work environments are are definitely in need of urgent intervention. Okay, I want to get into that in j just a moment, especially the prevention part, because that that very much interests me. But let's talk about nurses in general. You know, anytime I've seen nurses, uh, you know, in an ER or in in, in crisis situations, they they're the ones who who you know take charge. Uh, they're calm. They're collected. They've got a job to do. They're concentrated. They see traumatic events quite often, especially if you're going to be working in an inner city hospital or something. You're going to see a traumatic event almost daily. But we, yeah, forget, I mean, we forget they're human beings as well. And, and do you think maybe that's one big problem is we just have spent so many years just thinking, you know what, they're, they're nurses. That's their job. Yeah, so that, that's a big <laughs> issue in my opinion. I, I think... Um, like nurses themselves also get into that mindset of normalizing <laughs> exposure to traumatic events. Like one of the things that is very, like a very common occurrence in healthcare is, is exposure to workplace violence, for example. And I mean, there are campaigns going um, on right now or actually before the pandemic uh, sort of trying to create that mindset that, you know, workplace violence is actually not a part of your job. You're not a police officers or cor correctional officers and so on and so forth. So I think it's actually really important to raise awareness, like among nurses and also among the general population, 
that um, nurses work is essentially around providing care and meeting the healthcare needs of our population and not necessarily ex like getting exposed or intervening in, in workplace violence situations or other traumatic events. But I mean, at the same time, there, there is some understand, there should be some understanding that, you know, healthcare workers in general, it's, there is a little bit of um, sort of, uh, I guess, expectation that they would get exposed to traumatic events, things like exposure to human suffering and death is, for example, a traumatic event. And as healthcare workers, this is an inevitable part of your job. And a necessary part of your job. My gosh, if they weren't there, who would do that? Exactly, uh, exactly. And the thing is that, you know, I, I want to go back to the point that you raised around nurses being so calm and collected during traumatic events. And certainly I've, I've uh, in my personal and professional career, uh, you know, just encountered so many wonderful nurses that are so like they can just deal with any traumatic event. So like, just do a wonderful job every time. But at the same time, we have to realize that it's chronic exposure to trauma and traumatic event that essentially takes a toll on individuals' mental health. And as a care provider, if you work in an environment where, for example, workplace violence or poor workplace conditions is just a daily occurrence, that that is going to take a toll on you and your mental health. You know, when we talk about PTSD uh, uh, for uh, police officers, they are, you know, and, and thank goodness more and more uh, departments are starting to recognize PTSD as a legitimate health concern. They are able more readily than nurses to be able to take time off to allow for the healing. It's difficult for a nurse to, take, to get time off. Yeah. So it was actually just recently in 2019 that um, the BC Nurses Union was able to um, sort of advocate and finally get nurses under the presumptive legislation for PTSD. Um, and I think that's just not just, I, I was just so, um, when I actually learned about the policy, I, I was so surprised that nurses were already not a part of the <laughs> yeah. legislation. So I, I think the policy change um, is certainly um, moved to a positive direction. Um, and, uh, you know, just because there, there is research out there that says, you know, you cannot be taking care of others where, where, when you yourself yeah. are not in an optimal state of mental health. So, I mean, I'm actually just working on a paper right now um, that uh, is sort of looking at the relationship and the association between nurses' mental health, so things like anxiety, depression, post-traumatic stress disorder, burnout, and how that impacts their uh, delivery of uh, sort of quality and safe patient care. And and where are you going with that one? What, where, what direction is that one bringing you into it? So... I can tell you just, just because, you know, we're still in the uh, early phases of preliminary data analysis, mm -hmm. I, I can probably just share a little bit of our findings. And that is that essentially we're, we're seeing a relationship that quality and safety of patient care sort of drops almost by two to three fold as a result of uh, poor mental health. And I think that that is a really, really concerning uh, finding. I never thought about that. 
you know, I definitely want to be concerned about the nurse and I, and I don't want to diminish the importance of, of, of their personal mental health, but I never really thought that there's a chance it could impact patient care. Oh, absolutely. And I mean, there's already research out there. Um, I mean, one of, one of the areas that's really well studied is around the relationship between nurse burnout and quality and safety of patient care. And I mean, nurse burnout has been linked to quality safety outcomes, even like nurses that, you know, suffer from burnout, for example, they have been shown to um, just make more patient adverse events. So their patients are more likely to fall. They're more likely to make uh, medication errors. Their patients are more likely to suffer from nosocomial infections or hospital acquired infections. So that relationship is out there. What is a bit less known is, is the uh, sort of relationship between other mental health outcomes, like post-traumatic stress disorder, anxiety, depression, and uh, quality and safe patient care. But certainly, I, I, I think from a common sense perspective, it just makes sense, right? I mean, if, if you're not in an ideal or in a good state of uh, mind, um, you're, you're just not going to be able to work as effectively. Your initial findings for this current paper, the one we're talking about, 47% reporting symptoms of PTSD. 47%. Isn't that crazy? Uh, 41% suffered from depression. 38% experienced anxiety. 60% re 60 reported feeling emotional exhaustion. And what's really interesting is that the most important, like the antecedent to high emotional exhaustion is workload. So when nurses are overworked, an expected consequence is feeling of emotional exhaustion. And so I, I think that just speaks plenty about what's going on. And I mean, in the past, uh, my research team and uh, myself, you know, we have done studies around nurse workload, and we've also actually found that that's, you know, that, that is a consistent and repeated issue in nurses' work environments. And we have also linked heavy workloads to poor nurse and patient outcomes. So things like patient adverse events, falls, medication errors, and also like job dissatisfaction for nurses, burnout, and, and other negative experiences. Okay, let's get into prevention. Let's talk about prevention because, you know, it's important to develop new, new treatment methods for PTSD, but it would be much better if we could prevent it from becoming a problem in the first place. So what do we need to have happen now in order to make it a better workplace for nurses? So I think one of Based on the research that I've been doing over the last 10, 10 years or so, I, I think, uh, you know, it, I mean, there, there is always room for Im improvement everywhere, right? But I think one of the most significant challenges in, in nurses' uh, sort of work environment is uh, staffing and workload. I, I mean, this is a sort of a consistent theme that is coming up in research um, over and over. I mean, there was a study done in Canada in, in 2012 that essentially said that we're going to be short 60,000 full-time nurses by 2022. 
Another a recent report by, I think, um, BC government actually said that in British Columbia, there is going to be about 25,000 nurses short, like a shortage of 25,000 nurses in, in about a decade. So with these kinds of shortages, it's expected that, um, you know, staffing, nurse staffing is also going to be like an issue, like a persistent issue. And so there's research out there that has, including my own work, that has repeatedly sort of documented uh, nurses uh, uh, sort of struggling with issues of workload and short staffing, and also has linked staffing shortages and staffing inadequacies, like like the study that we're looking at today, uh, to uh, poor nurse mental health and also poor patient outcomes. I mean, there was research by done by um, Dr. Linda Aitken, like this 12 country study, uh, probably about a few years ago, that essentially even linked um, sort of staffing inadequacies to patient mortality, like as a result of everyone patient that is assigned to a nurse, the risk of a patient mortality goes up by about, I believe, 7%. So I, I think um, like one, one good starting place would, would be to um, find a way to uh, perhaps, you know, just attract more individuals and more uh, sort of uh, nurses to the profession. Uh, and also do things that will help uh, retain the supply of nursing professionals that we already have, because we know that because of workplace or poor workplace conditions, it's actually not uncommon for nurses to want to leave their job or even leave the profession altogether. Like that, we hear um, stories about that all the time. And I mean, there's also empirical evidence that documents that. So just finding ways to, um, for nurses to want to continue to stay in the profession. I, I think it's it's a great prevention uh, strategy. It's a great starting point. And I think improving the conditions of nurses' work environments is certainly um, a really, really important strategy. But we do know that healthcare is the number one target when it comes to budget cutbacks for any government. Uh, so, knowing that there's a shortage. In fact, I'm actually, I, I've just been, while you were talking, I looked up that report. Uh, Canadian Nurses Association predicted Ontario, uh, sorry, Canada would see a shortage of 60,000 full-time nurses by 2022. However, uh, on the positive side, there has been a surge in nursing schools across the country, including British Columbia and Ontario, that is seeing, well, let's see Ontario, a 17.5% jump in nursing applications. So there, there is, I guess, a bit of positive news, but are we going to be willing to spend money on that? Um, I, I think there, there is certainly, it took a pandemic <laughs> for <laughs> all of us to realize that, you know, this, this is a really serious issue. And I know that in British Columbia this year, um, extra budget, additional budget has been dedicated to um, um, healthcare and also in particular, like the education of healthcare workers, the majority of whom are, are nurses. I, I don't really have specific details of, around, you know, the actual budget number, but I, I know that, for example, in our school, we're gonna be sort of doing an expansion 
of the number of students that, or the number of seats that are offered to nursing students um, sort of next year. At the same time though, we are seeing the workload of nurses increase for another reason, and that is there are more things that they are uh, now allowed to do and are being called on to do. So we get into nurse practitioners, we get into to, uh, nurses uh, administering, uh, you know, mu- a much bigger part in administering uh, drugs. So, you know, we, we've, got, we've got this double challenge facing a lot of nurses. Yeah, and I, I actually think that it's, it's, uh, it's the expansion of nurses' scope of practice essentially speaks to the fact that, you know, these, these are professionals that they can, you know, they, they have been trained and they, they have the required skills to be doing these sort of more complicated uh, competencies and uh, tasks. Um, but at the same time, there, there needs to be understanding that with additional responsibilities and additional work to do, um, we need to also be thinking about, um, you know, providing additional support and resources um, so that hopefully we're, we're not going to get into an issue of work overload. All right. So let's assume there are nurses listening right now, um, family members of nurses uh, employers listening right now. And there is, you know, this is all, this is wonderful. This is, is great to know that, that we need to change the system, that we recognize there's a problem, but right now, what can you say to a nurse who is out there frustrated, um, maybe thinking about leaving, uh, feeling alone, what would you say to them? I, I would just start by thanking them, by, by saying, mm-hmm. by showing my uh, gratitude for the work that they have been doing in the front line, fighting this um, like really serious battle with this infectious disease over the last year and a half. And I would say that there is you, I mean, you may feel like you're alone, but you really are not. There, there is support out there. I mean, there are organizations, there are individuals, you have your, um, you know, just the BC Nurses Union that has been advocating on behalf of nurses. So reach out, do connect with those resources and, um, you know, just, uh, you, you hopefully will, will feel hurt. And I, I think it's really important um, at this time, especially because of everything that has been happening in the context of the pandemic, it's, it's really important for nurses to, if they have those feelings, to reach out and ask for support. And, uh, and support is there. Sometimes you have to look for it. Sometimes you have to demand it and fight for it, and, uh, but it's there. Uh, and, and, you know, make some noise. Um, but it, it's... Yeah, because I, I think it's really important because sometimes as nurses, like nurses have this really heroic attitude and they want to sort of, uh, like, th- there is really no, I, I guess what I'm trying to say is that um, reaching out for support is, is not a sign of weakness, right? Because lots mm-hmm. has been going on over the last, uh, last year and a half. So if, if you do feel like you need to connect with someone, please do, because that is going to protect you 
and also those around you, those who need you to be there in the healthcare system. Um, so that's, that's, I guess, what I wanted to make sure I was clear on. Do you have hope for the future for, for nursing when it comes to PTSD? I have hope. I, 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 I'm really optimistic. I, I think lots is being done. I mean, in terms of research, um, we are constantly sort of looking at things that can be done. We're collaborating with those in, in a sort of position of power, those in health authorities, those in the ministry, and we're sort of constantly trying to better gain a better understanding of what helps nurses um, sort of have like have a better sort of environment and context in terms of their workplace and also to implement a strategies. So I, I'm really hopeful that things are gonna uh, sort of uh, shift to a more positive uh, sort of uh, direction, but it, it may take a bit of time because things change is not gonna happen overnight. And that in the meantime, if, if nurses, um, again, need support to make sure that they actually reach out to those um, organizations and supports out there. All right. It says here that you're, work, you're currently developing a workload management tool that creates a better fit between patients' needs and nurses' competencies. What, what kind of tools yeah, because one be? of the things that I'm so glad you asked that, because one of the things um, that we've been always, you know, in, in light of the, all the shortage that has been going on, we've been sort of saying that the end goal in terms of sort of resolving this shortage is to increase our supply of nurses, recruit more nurses, help them uh, stay in their position, uh, sort of uh, in terms of like increase or expanding our uh, nursing seats in educational programs. But all of that is, is going to take some time. There are tools and interventions out there um, that are sort of like, I, I call them like an immediate intervention or almost like a Band-Aid approach that can help nurses sort of better manage their um, workload with the current resources that they have. And one of those tools is something called the Synergy tool. It's a patient needs assessment tool. And uh, it sort of uh, just um, starts with identifying their patient, the, the patient needs um, and sort of measuring it. Is, is the patient low need, moderate need, high need? And then base, use the patient needs, um, you know, the, their specific types of needs and the need scores to match that patient to the nurse to sort of create a synergy between patient needs and nurses' competencies. And so research, I mean, there, there has been uh, there quite a number of research studies have been done on this uh, sort of workload management uh, tool. And research actually shows that the use of the tool is associated with better nurse outcome, better organizational outcomes, and better patient outcomes. So right now, we're actually just given every, everything that ha has happened in the context of the long-term care sector because of the pandemic, we're essentially just adapting the tool for uh, use with the resident population in that context. This is such an important uh, discussion to be having, an ongoing discussion. Uh, you know, if, if something happens to me or a loved one right now, nurses are going to take care of me and them. 
So we need to take care of our nurses. I think we need to do a, a, a better job. And here's hoping that, that people will pay attention. Absolutely. All right. Thank you. Thank you very much for having me. I have long called for radical change in the way we deliver mental health treatment, but what happens when the very people who are supposed to help us need help themselves and that help is not forthcoming? This isn't just going to resolve itself after lockdowns are over. Change is needed, and as always, change begins with listening. Let's hope the right people are. Until next time, take care of yourself and take care of each other. Please consider subscribing to this podcast and also check out the Happy Molecule Extra at thehappymolecule.com. There you'll find a link to a video version of this episode. Be able to join the conversation about mental health, learn about our Facebook Live show, and get a preview of upcoming episodes. You can email us at thehappymolecule at gmail.com. I'm Erin Davis, wishing you good mental health.